on today's episode of the podcast, we are diving back into the tennis world. And this time we are talking about an amazing black woman, Althea Gibson, who was an American tennis player and professional golfer. And she was one of the first black athletes to cross the color line of international tennis. Before there was a Serena and Venus Williams or Coco, there was Althea. She was born on August 25th, 1927 in Silver in Clarendon County, South Carolina to her parents, Daniel and Annie Bell Gibson. Her parents worked as sharecroppers on a cotton farm. And when the Great Depression hit in the 1930s, they would move to Harlem as part of the Great Migration. Her three sisters and brother would be born there in Harlem. But luckily for Althea, their apartment was located on a stretch of 143rd Street between Lenox Avenue and 7th Avenue that had been designated a police athletic league, which at the time meant that during the day it was barricaded so that neighborhood children could play organized sports there. She had athletic talents that were apparent from a very young age, and she excelled in something called paddle tennis before transitioning to lawn tennis. By 1939, at the young age of 12, she was the New York City's women's paddle tennis champion. She would also quit school, though, at the age of 13, and using the boxing skills that her dad taught her, she engaged in a life of what she would later refer to as, quote, her street fighting. She also did girls basketball, and she loved to watch movies, but she did become fearful of her dad's violent behavior, and after dropping out of school, she did spend some time living in a Catholic protective shelter for abused children. In 1940, a group of her neighbors took up a collection to help finance a junior membership and lessons at the Cosmopolitan Tennis Club, which was in the Sugar Hill section of Harlem. At first, Althea didn't like tennis. She thought it was a sport for weak people, and she would say that she just kept wanting to fight other players whenever she started to lose a match. But she persisted, and in 1941, she entered and won her first tournament, the American Tennis Association New York State Championship. In 1944 and 1945, she would win the American Tennis Association Championship in the girls division, but she would lose the women's final in 1946 and then go on to win her first of 10 straight National American Tennis Association titles starting in 1947. Her success drew the attention of Walter Johnson, who was a Lynchburg, Virginia physician and was active in the black tennis community. Johnson would later go on to mentor the famous Arthur Ashe, but under his patronage, Althea gained access to more advanced instruction and more important competitions and later to the U.S. Lawn Tennis Association. In 1946, she would move to Wilmington, North Carolina, and under the sponsorship of a different physician, tennis activist Herbert Eaton, she enrolled at the racially segregated Wilston Industrial High School. In 1949, she became the first black woman and the second black athlete after Reginald Weir to play in the U.S. Tennis Association's National Indoor Championship, where she reached the quarterfinals. Later that same year, she entered Florida A&M University on a full athletic scholarship and was a member of the Beta Alpha chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. Despite her growing reputation as this elite player in tennis, she was effectively barred from entering the premier American tournament, the U.S. National Championships, which is now known as the U.S. Open. The U.S. Tennis Association rules officially prohibited racial or ethnic discrimination because players qualified for the nationals by accumulating points at sanctioned tournaments, but most of these were held at white-only clubs. 
In response to intense lobbying by American Tennis Association officials and retired champion Alice Marble, who published a scathing open letter in the magazine American Lawn Tennis, Althea became the first black player to receive an invitation to nationals and she would make her Forest Hills debut a few days after her 23rd birthday. Although she would narrowly lose in the second round in a rain-delayed three-set match to Louise Bro, who was the reigning Wimbledon champion and former U.S. national winner, her participation would receive national and international coverage. Journalist Lester Rodney wrote, quote, No Negro player, man or woman, has ever set foot on one of these courts. In many ways, it is even a tougher personal Jim Crow busting assignment than was Jackie Robinson's when he first stepped out on the Brooklyn Dodgers dugout. In 1951, Althea won her first international title, the Caribbean Championships in Jamaica. And later that year, she became one of the first black competitors at Wimbledon, where she was defeated in the third round by Beverly Baker. In 1952, she was ranked 7th nationally by the U.S. Tennis Association. And when she graduated from Florida A&M in 1953, she took a job teaching PE at Lincoln University in Jefferson City, Missouri. She was only at Lincoln for two years, but she became romantically involved with an army officer who she would never name publicly. And she considered enlisting in the Women's Army Corps at the time, but decided against it when the State Department sent her on a goodwill tour of Asia in 1955. She would play exhibition matches with Ham Richardson, Bob Perry, and Carol Farragos. She would tour many Asian countries, including Burma, Ceylon, India, Pakistan, and Thailand. And many would say they felt an affinity to Althea as a woman of color and were delighted to see her as part of this official U.S. delegation. During this time, of course, the U.S. is grappling with the question of race and a lot of people would turn to Althea for answers or at least to get a firsthand perspective on how she viewed race in America. During the six-week tour, she strengthened her confidence and would remain abroad, winning 16 of 18 tournaments in both Europe and Asia against many of the world's best players. Althea would go on to win multiple Grand Slam titles. Her first major win was the French Championship Singles event on May 27th in 1956, which is now the French Open. She also won the doubles title, being partnered with Britain Angela Buxton. In both 1957 and 1958, she won both Wimbledon and the U.S. National Championships, which would make her the first black person to win these prestigious tournaments. She would be seated first at Wimbledon, which was at the time considered the world championship of tennis and would go on to defeat Darlene Hurd in the finals for the singles tournament. She was the first black champion in the tournament's 80 year history and the first champion period to receive the trophy personally from Queen Elizabeth II. A month later, she defeated Louise Burrow in straight sets to win her first U.S. national championship. She would write that, quote, winning Wimbledon was wonderful and it meant a lot to me, but there is nothing quite like winning the championship of your own country. During that time, she was also the Associated Press Female Athlete of the Year. And later in that season, she won the Italian Championships in Rome, the Indian Championships in New Delhi and the Asian Championships in Ceylon. She would also reach the quarterfinals and singles at Wimbledon and the finals at the U.S. Nationals, losing both to Shirley Fry. She would say that her 1957 season was, quote, Althea Gibson's year and would also say, quote, shaking hands with the Queen of England was a long way from being forced to sit in the colored section of the bus. 
When she came home from Wimbledon, she was only the second black American after Jesse Owens to be honored with a ticker tape parade in New York City. And the mayor at the time, Robert F. Wagner Jr., presented her with the bronze medallion, which is the city's highest civilian honor. In all, she reached the finals of eight Grand Slam events in 1957, of course, winning the Wimbledon and U.S. National Singles title the Wimbledon and Australian doubles championship and the U S mixed doubles crown. And she would also finish second in the Australian singles, U S doubles and Wimbledon mixed doubles. At the end of that season, she broke yet another barrier as the first black player on the U S Whiteman cup team, which defeated great Britain six to one. She would win 55 matches of that season, plus her first two matches in 1958, which put her on a 57 match in a row winning streak. In 1958, she successfully defended her Wimbledon and U.S. National Singles title and won her third straight Wimbledon doubles championship with a third different partner. In all, she would win 11 Grand Slam tournaments, five singles titles, five doubles titles, and one mixed doubles title. She was the number one ranked woman in the world and in the U.S. She also became the first black woman to appear on the covers of Sports Illustrated and Time. Almost at the height of her success, she would retire from amateur tennis in 1958. This was prior to the open era, which meant there wasn't prize money at major tournaments and direct endorsement deals were prohibited. So players were limited to meager expense allowances, which were strictly regulated by the U.S. Tennis Association. Although she had won all of these tournaments, she didn't have a lot in her bank account. Professional tours for women were still 15 years away, so her opportunities were largely limited to promotional events. In 1959, she signed to play a series of exhibition matches before Harlem Globetrotter basketball games. And when that tour ended, she won the singles and doubles title at the Pepsi-Cola World Pro Tennis Championships in Cleveland, but would only receive $500 in prize money. During this time, she was also pursuing her long-held aspirations in the entertainment industry. In fact, she was a talented vocalist and saxophonist, and she even was runner-up in the Apollo Theater's Amateur Talent Contest in 1943. She made her professional singing debut at W.C. Hardy's 84th birthday tribute at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in 1957. An executive from Dot Records was so impressed with her performance that she was signed to record an album of popular standards. Althea Gibson Sings was released in 1959 and she even performed two of its songs on the Ed Sullivan show in May and July of that year, but the sales were disappointing. She appeared as a celebrity guest on the TV panel show What's My Line and was even cast as an enslaved woman in the John Ford motion picture The Horses Soldiers in 1959, which was notable for her refusal to speak in the stereotypical quote Negro dialect that was mandated by the script. She also worked as a sports commentator and appeared in print and TV advertisements for various products and increased her involvement in social issues and community activities. She would write her first memoir in 1960 titled I Always Wanted to Be Somebody with sports writer Ed Fitzgerald. But unfortunately, her professional tennis career was going nowhere. She would see these white tennis players, some of whom she had already beaten on the court, picking up offers and invitations. And she wrote, quote, suddenly it dawned on me that my triumphs had not destroyed the racial barriers once and for all, as I had perhaps naively hoped. Or if I did destroy them, they have been erected behind me again. She repeatedly applied for membership in the All England Club based on her status as a Wimbledon champion, but was never accepted. Her doubles partner, Angela Buxton, who was Jewish, was also repeatedly denied membership. 
After leaving tennis, she would make history again by becoming the first black woman to join the Ladies Professional Golf Association at the age of 37. But of course, during this time, racial discrimination continued to be a problem. Many hotels would still exclude people of color and country club officials throughout the South and even some in the North refused to allow her to compete. When she did compete, she was often forced to dress for tournaments in her car because she was banned from these clubhouses. And although she was one of the LPGA's top 50 money winners for five years, her lifetime golf earnings never exceeded $25,000. During this time, she would marry her best friend Rosemary's brother, William. His income helped supplement the proceeds that she would get through various sponsorship deals. While she did break course records during some individual rounds in several tournaments, her highest ranking was 27th, which she earned in 1966, and her best tournament finish was a tie for second after a three-way playoff in the 1970 Len M. Buick Open. She would retire from professional golf at the end of the 1978 season. In the early 1970s, she would begin directing women's sports and recreation for the Essex County Parts Commission in New Jersey. In 1972, she also began running Pepsi-Cola's National Mobile Tennis Project, which brought portable nets and other equipment to underprivileged areas in major cities. She would run multiple other clinics and tennis outreach programs over the next three decades and coached numerous rising competitors, including Leslie Allen and Zena Garrison. Her marriage would end in 1976, but that same year she was appointed New Jersey's athletic commissioner and was the first woman in the country to hold such a role. However, she would resign after a year due to lack of autonomy, budgetary oversight, and inadequate funding. She said she didn't want to be just a figurehead. In 1977, she challenged incumbent Essex County State Senator Frank Dodd in the Democratic primary for his seat. She would come in second behind Dobb, but ahead of Assemblyman Eldridge Hawkins. She went on to manage the Department of Recreation in East Orange, New Jersey, and she also served on the State Athletic Control Board and became supervisor of the Governor's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. She would try to make a run again in tennis during the open era, but by then she was in her 40s and was unable to compete effectively against younger players. She would also attempt a golf comeback in 1987 at the age of 60 with the goal of becoming the oldest active tour player, but she was unable to regain her tour card. In her second memoir, So Much to Live For, she would articulate her disappointments, including unfulfilled aspirations, the lack of endorsements and other professional opportunities, and the many obstacles of all sorts that were thrown in her way over the years. She would get remarried in 1983 to tennis coach Sidney Llewellyn, But that marriage would also end in divorce and she would never have children. In the late 1980s, she suffered two cerebral hemorrhages, followed by a stroke in 1992. Her ongoing medical expenses would leave her in dire financial circumstances. And she reached out to multiple tennis organizations requesting help, but none responded. Former Devils partner Angela Buxton made her plight known to the tennis community and was able to raise nearly a million dollars in donations from around the world. Although she survived a heart attack in 2003, she would die on September 28th of that year from complications following respiratory and bladder infections, and her body would be interred in the Rosdale Cemetery in Orange, New Jersey, near her first husband, William Darbin. It would be 15 years before another non-white woman, Yvonne Gulagog, in 1971, won a Grand Slam championship. And it would be 43 years before another black woman, Serena Williams, 
won her first of six U.S. Opens in 1999. Serena's sister Venus also won back-to-back titles at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open in 2000 and 2001, repeating Althea's accomplishments of her 1957 and 1958 wins. A decade after Althea's last win at the U.S. Nationals, Arthur Ashe will become the first black man to win a Grand Slam singles title at the 1968 U.S. Open. Billie Jean King said, quote, if it hadn't been for Althea, it wouldn't have been so easy for Arthur or the ones who followed. In 1980, she became one of the first six inductees into the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame, along with other women pioneers such as Amelia Earhart, Wilma Rudolph, Gertrude Elderly, and Patty Berg. She would also be inducted into the National Lawn Tennis Hall of Fame, the International Tennis Hall of Fame, the Florida Sports Hall of Fame, the Black Athletes Hall of Fame, the Sports Hall of Fame of New Jersey, the New Jersey Hall of Fame, the International Scholar Athlete Hall of Fame, and the National Women's Hall of Fame. She also received a Candace Award from the National Coalition of 100 Black Women in 1988. She was also the first woman to receive the Theodore Roosevelt Award, which is the highest honor from the National Collegiate Athletic Association. Sports Illustrated for Women would name her one of the 100 greatest female athletes. On opening night of the 2007 U.S. Open, the 50th anniversary of her first victory at its predecessor, the U.S. National Championship, she was inducted into the U.S. Open Court of Champions. U.S. Tennis Association President Alan Schwartz would say at the ceremony, quote, her legacy lives on, not only in the stadiums of professional tournaments, but also in schools and parks throughout the nation. Every time a black child or Hispanic child or an Islamic child picks up a tennis racket for the first time, Althea touches another life. When she began playing, less than 5% of tennis newcomers were minorities. Today, some 30% are minorities, two-thirds of whom are African-American. This is her legacy. Her five Wimbledon trophies are displayed at the Smithsonian Institute's National Museum of American History. And the Althea Gibson Cup Seniors Tournament is held annually in Croatia. The Althea Gibson Foundation identifies and supports gifted golf and tennis players who live in urban areas. And in 2005, the Althea Gibson Scholarship was endowed at her alma mater, Florida A&M University. In September of 2009, Wilmington, North Carolina named its new community tennis court facility the Althea Gibson Tennis Complex at Empire Park. And she has several other facilities named in her honor, including in a high school near her birthplace, one in Charleston, South Carolina, of course, at her alma mater, Florida A&M, and the Branchbrook Park in New Jersey. In 2012, a bronze statue created by sculptor Thomas J. Warren was dedicated to her memory in Branchbrook Park. And in August of 2013, the U.S. Postal Service issued a postage stamp honoring Althea, the 36th in its Black Heritage series. She's even had a documentary titled Althea produced about her from the American Master Series on PBS, which premiered in September of 2015. In 2018, the U.S. Tennis Association unanimously voted to erect a statue honoring Althea at Flushing Meadows, the site of the U.S. Open. The statue was created by sculptor Eric Goldner and unveiled in 2019 and is only the second Flushing Meadows monument erected in honor of a champion. Althea Gibson's achievements came during a time when there was rampant racial segregation and discrimination. Her success helped pave the way for future generations of black tennis players, including people like Arthur Ashe, Vanessa and Serena Williams, and Coco Gauff. Her determination and ability to break racial barriers in sports during a highly segregated era 
has solidified her place as a significant figure in sports history. She remains a symbol of breaking barriers and achieving excellence regardless of societal limitations. If you've never heard of Althea Gibson, her story is one you should know. Thank you for joining me on an incredible journey through history with today's story. If you want to take a deeper dive into any of the women that I talk about on the podcast, you can visit historicallypodcast.com. There you can find additional resources and you can also let me know about women you want to hear about on the show. Make sure you subscribe to stay updated on future episodes and don't forget to leave a review and let me know how I'm doing. Thank you for being part of today's historical journey. And until next time, remember that her story is one you should know.